0: i <laughs> Listening to the Coffee Hour, I'm Eddie Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Golseth.
0: We have a commemoration today, which means great history lesson. Yes, I'm super excited about this. Me too. Thanks to Concordia University Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University Wisconsin at cuw.edu.
1: Live uncommon.
0: Joining us today, the Reverend Dr. Cameron McKenzie, Professor of Historical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Dr. McKenzie, welcome back to the Coffee Hour.
2: Well, thank you very much for having me. I um, always have a good time when I'm talking with you folks. So, thanks.
0: Uh, as do we. We yes. always <laughs> have a blast learning so much, particularly this the great history of the Reformation. So, today the church commemorates Frederick the Wise, who, who was Frederick the Wise or I believe also Frederick the 3rd Elector of Saxony. Right? That's that's correct
2: too. Sure. Well, Frederick was the political figure in that part of Germany at the time who was most responsible For seeing to it that Luther taught theology at the University of Wittenberg, and that when Luther initiated what we call today the Reformation, that he was able to do it. Frederick was really Luther's protector in those early years of the Reformation, so that it is not at all an exaggeration to say that if there if it had not been for Frederick the Wise, there would not have been Martin Luther and his Reformation. He's that important?
1: Yeah, I think it's really interesting to talk about him in particular. So often we focus in on the the more religious, the, the theologians of the Reformation, and we kind of kind of breeze past Frederick the Wise as as an important character. But but yeah, he is. His role in this Reformation was was so so incredibly important. Now, Indy mentioned that his title was Elector of Saxony. What was that role of an Elector in in this time period in Germany?
2: Yeah, great question. I hope I can answer it briefly <laughs> as well as clearly. Uh, the part of Europe that we think of today as Germany was in those years the Holy Roman Empire. It wasn't holy it wasn't roman and it wasn't an empire but that that was its <laughs> that was its name and it was a form of government in which authority was distributed at many different levels not a democratic form of government but a government which had emperor kings dukes counts etc well one of the more important of those figures inferior to the emperor uh, was a Anybody who was called an elector, because when the imperial throne fell vacant, they chose a new one. But it wasn't an election by all the people or even by all the nobility. It was an election by seven men. And one of those men was Frederick, who was himself the ruler of that part of Germany, which they called, I think we still call today, Saxony. So he's a territorial ruler, but a very important one. Because he will help to choose the next emperor when the old one dies.
0: So, what were his uh, Frederick the Wise's convictions or beliefs?
2: Well, Frederick was a very pious Roman Catholic. He well, the best illustration of that was his devotion to uh, the saints and collecting their relics in, in late medieval. Catholicism. The cult of the saints was very strong, and that just simply means that the church recognized that there were uh, particular individuals who had made it to heaven, weren't in purgatory, whom people could call upon for help in all kinds of troubles and situations. It was more difficult for people to pray to God or Jesus Christ because of their elevated status, they were God, they were transcendent, they were way above ordinary mortals. And it was easier for them to pray to people who had been like them, but had made it into heaven. So they prayed to the saint. Your prayer to a saint would be more effective if you prayed it close to one of those saints' relics. And that meant body parts, or clothing or things closely associated with the saint during his life. So the idea was, if you wanted help from, let's say, St. Bartholomew for skin disease, and he had been martyred by having his pulled off, want to say a prayer to St. Bartholomew near like a piece of his skin, a relic, and then St. Bartholomew was more likely to hear you and to help you. Well, Frederick went on pilgrimage to the Holy Land, and in the wake of that pilgrimage, He began collecting these relics and had a a collection of over 19,000 relics in the castle church, and the door of which Luther had posted his 95 theses. So Frederick was strongly committed to the Christian religion as he had learned it, but it was in this late medieval form in which there were a lot of things which were not biblical and against which Luther would preach and finally which the Lutheran church would eliminate.
1: So in his role as an elector and also with his with his own
2: beliefs what was his relationship like with the pope at that time That's a, that's a good question Popes at this time were thought of not just as or merely religious leaders but also political leaders and they they were heavily invested in European politics and most particularly in Italian politics So um Frederick's relationship with the Hope was good, but if political interests diverged, then they could have a falling out as well. Now, I'll just mention one little episode that illustrates the closeness, or could be closeness. This was when the old emperor died. This was Maximilian I. He died early in 1519. They had to choose a new one. Frederick was one of the seven who would get to choose. And the Pope was very much interested in who the next emperor would be. Um, He didn't want an emperor who was going to give him, the Pope, too much trouble, especially in terms of Italian political interests. So at that point, the Pope really made an effort to cultivate Frederick the Wise, even sent a a special papal gift. It was called the Golden Rose, and it had indulgences attached to it. and was given to laymen who were especially important, and so the Pope sent one in order basically to get Frederick's vote when it came to electing the new emperor. So at that point, the, the two were very close. On the other hand, when Frederick persisted in protecting Martin Luther, then the The Pope threatened Frederick, even with, at one point, um, putting Saxony under the interdict, which would have meant suspending all religious services and the like. So, depending on the question, Frederick and the Pope could be in good relations or in bad relations. And, of course, the Reformation really threatened that relation permanently, although Frederick still died a Catholic, I guess we'd say, but, I mean, he wasn't excommunicated.
0: So, the... What was the relationship then of of, of Frederick the Wise to Luther? Did their paths cross? That that
2: too is a good question. Uh, (laughs) uh, As far as we know, Luther saw Frederick the Wise only once. And that was at the Diet of Worms. That was the only time that Luther ever saw Frederick. So several years ago, there was a movie version of Luther's life And it shows uh, Frederick and Luther talking to one another, especially about the first translation of the Bible into German. Well, that never happened. Uh, This was a hierarchical society, and people in the class of Frederick uh, did not chum around with people in the social class of uh, Luther. So they really didn't have a personal connection that way, but Luther... And uh, Frederick did communicate, especially through letters, although, again, it was kind of indirect. Luther corresponded a great deal with Frederick's uh, chaplain, uh, secretary, and advisor, a man by the name of George Spalatin. So there was communication back and forth, but it was almost always through that intermediary. So they didn't have a personal relationship, but they did have a professional relationship in that Frederick was the man who actually had found the University of Wittenberg. And so he maintained, and that was just in 1502, Luther joined the faculty in 1512, just 10 years after its founding. And Frederick maintained a, a personal interest financially and also in terms of management and personnel of the university. It, it, it's not that Frederick kind of ran everything, but he was continued to be engaged with the university and was worked for its success and tried to bring in the best kind of faculty and the like. So there was a a kind of professional relationship between the two men, if not a personal one.
0: Thank you for referencing the film, the Luther film, from the early 2000s. I think it was oh, yeah. 2003. I, that was what I was picturing in uh, my mind, and I was wondering if that was accurate. Uh, now, Dr. McKenzie, I just want to sit down and watch that movie with you and have yes. you like point out the this happened, this didn't happen.
1: Annotated version That's right. of the movie.
2: Yeah. I would love <laughs> you, that. No, you really wouldn't because, as my, as my wife will tell you, uh, and I think this is true of most historians, we only enjoy movie versions of that form of history that we don't know anything about. Because oh, if, if we know something about it, we're likely just to kind of be fidgety and say, well, that really, oh, that, blah, blah, blah. so uh, I, don't, I don't really think you want to watch that movie with me. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough.
1: I can understand that. Uh, that,
2: that makes
0: sense. That makes sense. <laughs> we are taking a look at the history of Frederick the Wise or Frederick the Third, Elector of Saxony today with Dr. Cameron McKenzie, Professor of Historical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment right here on the Coffee Hour. I'm Eddie Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Golfeth.
0: Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Ogleseth.
0: Today, the Church commemorates Frederick the Wise. We're talking with Dr. Cameron McKenzie, Professor of Historical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So... We just embarked on the the relationship between Martin Luther and Frederick the Wise, which we realized, as you pointed out, didn't, there wasn't like a a very personal relationship, but rather the the role of Frederick the Wise was really, in a sense, as elector, he was protector of Martin Luther. And so while they didn't really interact personally, he still carried out his vocation, even though it sounds like Frederick the Wise was was still a Roman Catholic throughout much of this, right?
2: Yeah, it's a, this is an interesting question that we can't really answer definitively. Clearly, Frederick the Wise comes to understand that Luther's theology is significantly different from the religion in which he had been trained, and it does seem that he was. Um, well, there were just times when he he says things like this: "This this is not a matter of for human beings. This is a matter that." That God is in control, and after Luther's confession at the uh, Diet of Worms, Frederick says to uh, Spalatin. Spalatin reports this. Frederick says, "Father Martin spoke very well before the emperor and the estates, but he was uh, much too bold for me." So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's an acknowledgement that there's something there in Luther and what he's saying that Frederick finds attractive and uh, moving. Let me give you another instance of this. This is right when Luther is going to be, well, in 1518, just about a year after the 95 Theses, Luther has already been accused of heresy, and he's been summoned to Rome. Frederick uh, won't send him to Rome, and he arranges for Luther to have a hearing by the Pope's representative, who is in Germany for one of those meetings of the empire called Diet, this one held in Augsburg. And Luther goes. The Pope's representative doesn't like what he hears from Luther. Luther leaves. The Pope's representative sends a letter to uh, Frederick uh, saying, you've got to turn him over. He's a heretic. We've got to send him to Rome. Frederick ends up refusing. But in the process of his refusing, again, he says, not only did Luther not get a fair trial, but also he compliments or says good things about what Luther is saying and teaching. So it's clear that he's maybe maybe not in this all the way in terms of understanding Luther and embracing everything that Luther teaches, but nonetheless, he has a sense that Luther is a man of God speaking faithfully from the scriptures. And so that's a part of why he wants to defend Luther, not just because he's a professor, but also He's a professor who seems to be on the right side of things.
1: What kind of risk was this to Frederick the wise to be standing up so staunchly against all of these all of these demands from other political leaders? What what was was he risking a lot for, for himself and his own personal safety and his own political
2: political power? Yes, but also no. Yeah. <laughs> he, he he's called wise, and he was actually called wise during his own lifetime because he was politically smart. Mm. So he he keeps a he keeps a distance from Luther, so that he can't nobody can say he's a Lutheran. Asks for time and delay, gives reasons why he's not turning Luther over. And really, up until the Diet of Worms, his his reasoning was that actually the new emperor had guaranteed that any German, any member of the empire, would receive a trial at the hands of fellow Germans. So he doesn't say, oh, Luther is great. He's just saying he's not being treated favorably. And one of the things that he worked for for a long time was to see if Luther couldn't get a trial in Germany by German church officials. Uh, that never really happened. But as long as Frederick is kind of taking that line, nobody, there may be threats, but you know, no, it's it'd be hard to convict Frederick of being anything other than kind of good German territorial ruler, not trying to absolutely defy authority, but just to make sure that the authorities were treating his university professor in a fair and just way. So as long as he's kind of politically smart, he's probably okay. Now, after the Diet of Worms, that changes a little bit. But the first thing he does, if you think about it, again, this is how wise he is. As soon as Luther is into Saxon territory, he has Luther kidnapped. He doesn't know the details. He doesn't know where they're going to put him. Uh, It's his agents who are doing it, but he can write fairly. I don't know where Luther is, and he did. Also, that gives him some time to think about what he's going to do subsequently. The Diet had condemned Luther as an outlaw, but now he's kidnapped, and so Frederick can't enforce anything against Luther. He doesn't know where Luther is. He has no control over Luther. He might be dead for all Frederick knows. And so they give time to think and to cut political detail, deals uh, with the emperor. And incidentally, the emperor has to leave Germany eventually. And then that means German princes and will be more important with an emperor gone and so forth. So Frederick's political smarts really preserve him from from excessive hostility from the emperor and the emperor's kind of Catholic supporters within the empire. Hmm.
0: How might Luther or the Reformation look different without this work of Frederick the Wise?
2: Well, let me see the best way to answer that. First of all, you know, we all believe that these things happen according to God's providence. So if Frederick hadn't been there and God wanted Luther to succeed in his Reformation, somebody else might have filled in the gap. And as a matter of fact, Frederick's successor was his brother, and he's known in the history books as John the Constant or John the Steadfast. And he was even more of a supporter of Luther's theology than was Frederick. So he might have done something similar. However, just humanly speaking, We can say that if Frederick had not moved early to protect Luther, Luther might very well have been condemned as a heretic and taken off to prison or burned at the stake or some other way silenced. And we would never know him as anything more than a footnote in the history books. So because of Frederick's early and persistent activity to protect Luther, after Luther got into tr- trouble, and as I say, that was within a year after the di- after the um, ninety five theses. Uh, if Frederick hadn't done that, uh, history for Martin Luther could have been very significantly different.
1: Mm-hmm. What kind of effect did did all of the this theology, all of Martin Luther's teaching, what kind of effect did that have
2: on Frederick uh, near the end of his life yeah, that's a that's a good question. After Luther returns from the Wartburg and begins to implement Reformation, there are two things that Frederick's heavily engaged with that cause Luther some problems. One was that collection of relics, nineteen thousand relics in the castle church. That went on display a couple of times a year, and to these were attached all kinds of indulgences, time off from purgatory, and all that kind of stuff. Luther said these things have to go. Frederick got that message, and in 1520, even before the Diet of Worms, he quit quit buying more of these relics. Okay, then in 1523. After the return from the Wartburg Frederick agrees that they will no longer be put on display with the exception just a few relics that were put on the high altar uh, once a year. So all of that display stuff all of that public indulgences etc that kind of goes away but Frederick does not get rid of the collection. It's only after he's dead and his brother becomes elector that the relics are dispose of and I'm not exactly even sure how they did that but nonetheless it's the brother who does it the other thing that was of so much concern to Luther at the castle church w- was the sacrifice of the mass the castle castle church Luther even called it the house of idolatry they had 81 people 20 altars and they were uh, doing uh almost almost a, I think it's like nine to ten thousand masses every year. And these were thought of as sin, uh, sacrifices for sins of the living and of the dead. Jesus had done something, but the priests had to keep doing it. And he keep doing it for people even who were in purgatory. Nobody's going to communion, but there, these sacrifices are taking place. Luther complains about this. 22. 1523 he appeals to the elector to end this. The elector doesn't do it. He refuses to do it. Luther continues this kind of appeal to the Emperor, not the Emperor, the Elector, end this abuse at the uh, castle church. The elector refuses to end it. Finally, when Frederick is just a few months before his death, it's the town council of Wittenberg that finally brings this to an end. So you wonder: had Frederick learned anything from Luther's theology? Well, the answer is yes. At the end of his life when Luther is in Wittenberg implementing a German worship service, on Palm Sunday of 1525, Frederick heard the gospel lessons read in the German language for the very first time in his life. And then on Easter Sunday of 1525, he heard the words of institution in the German language for the very first time in his life. And then on May 5th, the day of his death, he received the Lord's Supper and the consecrated wine as well as the consecrated bread. That was for the first time in his life. And that act, as much as anything else, indicates a Lutheran ethos, finally, because it's the Lutherans who implemented communion in both kinds, and the Catholics had always resisted.
0: What a, in a sense a bold confession on... His last day on earth. Yeah,
2: wow. On his deathbed, right.
0: Dr. Cameron McKenzie, professor of historical theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, giving us a wonderful history of Frederick the Wise. Dr. McKenzie, thank you so much for being our guest on The Coffee Hour today.
2: I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me.
0: You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Golseth.